The Graphic Histories Podcast. Hey there, and welcome back to the Graphic Histories Podcast. My name is Andre Mayette, and I am, as always, your host, and you are, as always, my sweet, gentle listener. Welcome back to my show. Big thanks to Ukula the Mock for our theme song, Superpowers. Still loving it. Still loving it. And this is episode number 25. It has been 25 weeks of this insanity. 25 weeks since quarantine started and i decided to get this little project off the ground that is a long time 25 weeks is pretty close next week would be halfway to a year which is pretty amazing um it's funny how life will give you things milestones different things and that you don't think about until you kind of put it into a different context a grander context if you will a higher scale than what you normally put things at you know when i when i first hit 35 which happened in august i became 35 years old uh, a friend of mine said, uh, hey, you're halfway to 70. And uh, it didn't, 35 didn't seem old to me until someone said that. And all of a sudden I was like, oh, God. Oh, God. He's right. He's totally right. Halfway to 70. Ugh, I just let that sit and stew for a while. Just, just sit there and stew. And it did not feel good. However, I've never been uh, afraid of aging. To me, I think aging is... Uh, is a good thing because the alternative aging is being dead, and I will happily age over that. But I always say I'm going to live forever. So if you're out there, you're listening. If you're a vampire, if you're some kind of immortal that wishes to share your secret of immortality with me, if you want a, a traveler on that road of eternity, someone that to laugh, someone to hang out, someone to uh, help you enslave the human race, whatever it is you need, I'll be there for you, man. If you're an immortal and you want to make me one of you, I will be there. There, ready, willing, and able to help in any way. <laughs> Man, wouldn't that be great? Like, I feel like I should write some kind of fiction around that about, you know, a podcast or a radio station person. Yeah, like making some kind of a call like that and then a vampire actually shows up. I think that's a good idea. Maybe I'll write that down. Future episode. Uh, yeah, so things are going well with me. Halloween is just around the corner, which is one of my favorite times of year. I'm a big fan of Halloween. I love horror movies. I love horror fiction. I love graphic novels based around comics. I love superheroes that are have a, a foot in the horror realm. And uh, I'm excited for this time of the year. I've been trying to watch as many horror movies as I can. Last year, I tried to do the one horror movie a day for all of October. Did not fare well. It's really tough to maintain a normal life. On top of doing that, I watched quite a few good ones, and this year I've got a few in. I was hoping to maybe catch at least an episode of Tales from the Crypt, which I've been rewatching from HBO in the 90s. Um, however, that's been tough as well, although I did watch a few episodes of me and my wife, and they were very entertaining. And how are things with you, dear listener? Life's going good. We had some work done to the house today. 
mainly just electrical work. Uh, needed to replace some fixtures outside. We had some lights in the basement that did not work for a couple of years. It's been pretty dark down there. Uh, mainly because they were those ballast lights, like the tube lightings that had gone and I replaced the bulbs. However, that didn't make them turn on. Uh, so we had the electricians come in and just take them out and put in a regular old light bulb, which is much better to me instead of dealing with ballasts and long tube lights and all that fun stuff. Uh, but now that that is done, I can see things in my basement again. It's a miracle. I can actually see how dirty it was and then proceed to clean it a little bit. <laughs> However, it was, uh, it was good. It was nice. It's nice to do those little projects when you have the time, especially as winter is, will soon be upon us. I know it's a dreaded word. We don't like to talk about it. However, it will be here soon. Now, in the comic world, um, DC made a pretty big announcement today. Uh, they're doing a future state storyline, which is going to kind of show a bunch of potential possible futures for heroes in their universe with alternate characters and different concepts on the, the classic ones we all know and love, which look really interesting. You know, DC's always kind of shaking up their continuity constantly um, to their detriment or to their benefit. I'm not quite sure. I don't know if it's, I don't know if it's really to make things successful anymore. Back in the day, it used to be... DB, they would, you know, retcon something like the DC Universe initially with the Crisis of Infinite Earths uh, to make it more accessible to new readers to say, hey, you don't need to remember or know, you know, mountains and mountains and decades of continuity. There's the new, fresh continuity. You can jump in feet first and learn it all over again. However, DC seems to keep doing it and it seems like the timeline between when they do it Next is getting shorter and shorter and shorter. Like the New 52 was not that long ago, like 10 years. And then the rebirth happened not too long later, you know. And it's now they're doing something like this. They're shaping up things in Superman's continuity, making him the Superman from the pre-New uh, 52 universe in the normal universe, you know, with parts of the spirit of the one from the original. It's, it's complicated, man. And I don't know if it's accessible anymore. So you really need to swallow a lot and know a lot about continuity in order to even understand why this version of Superman is different than the last version, which was different than the one from 20 years before that and the one from 50 to 60 years before that. So if it's all about accessibility, I really question whether you're reaching that goal, DC Comics. I know you're listening. I know you listen to every episode. I have no idea if you listen to every episode. I'm sure you don't. However, if you are listening... Just take it from a comic fan, you know, one of those aging halfway to 70 <laughs> comic fans. Uh, you know, maybe stick with some continuity. It's actually nice. It rewards longtime fans for paying attention and being there. And that's not necessarily a bad thing. So today's episode is focused on Black Manta. I've been a fan of Aquaman for a very long time. Uh, an old roommate of mine, a good friend and... Uh, I was a good friend, but definitely a friend that I've tried to keep in touch with over the years, although it's difficult, uh, who's working in the comics industry now and will hopefully be a guest on a future episode. David Cutler was probably the biggest Aquaman fan I've ever met. He is a big, big, big fan, and uh, my love of Aquaman grew partially from just watching his love of Aquaman when we were roommates and when we were friends before we became roommates and then henceforth on from there. Uh, of course, Black Manta made an appearance in the Jason Momoa Aquaman film, I was very excited to see they didn't alter his design. They kept him pretty close to the original look, which I always thought was really cool and unique. I'm always a sucker for unique-looking villains, something that's different than the the normal rigmarole. Uh, looking at you, Mysterio. Looking at you, Black Manta. People that have a kind of different appearance, and I think it's really cool. 
certainly unique and makes things stand out a bit. That being said, let's roll into today's episode where we get to learn all about the Aquaman villain, the sea pirate, the scourge of the seven oceans. I would have said seas, but I said sea a minute earlier and it's not very good grammatically. Black Manta. David Hyde, the African-American child who would become Black Manta, grew up in Baltimore, Maryland, and loved to play by the Chesapeake Bay. Throughout his youth, he was kidnapped and forced to work on a ship for an unspecified amount of time, where he was physically abused by his captors. At one point, he saw Aquaman with his dolphin friends and tried to signal him for help, but was not seen. Finally, he is forced to defend himself, killing one of his tormentors on the ship with a knife. Hating the emotionless sea and Aquaman, whom he saw as its representative, he was determined to become its master. An alternative history was given in issue number 8 of the 2003 Aquaman series. In this origin, the boy who would become Black Manta was an autistic orphan placed in Gotham City's Arkham Asylum. He felt comfortable in freezing cold water, but found cotton sheets excruciatingly painful. Because the attendants at Arkham did not know how to deal with autism, they would end up restraining him to the bed as he struggled and screamed whenever they tried putting him to sleep. In this version, young Black Manta was also fascinated when he saw Aquaman on television. The boy would end up being subjected to experimental treatments. One treatment seemed to clear the boy's head, but left him violent as a result. He killed the scientist who had administered the treatment and escaped from Arkham. As an adult, David, who would become Black Manta, designed a costume comprised of a black wetsuit with a bug-eyed helmet hiding his features that was able to shoot rays from its eyes and fashioned a high-tech, submersible ship inspired by Manta rays. Taking the name Black Manta, he and his masked army became a formidable force, engaging in at least one unrecorded clash with Aquaman prior to his first appearance as a rival of Aquaman's half-brother, the Ocean Master. Hyde and Aquaman battled repeatedly over the next several years. During one of these clashes, it is revealed to the marine superhero that Black Manta is actually a black man, whose stated objective at one point was for black people to dominate the ocean after having been oppressed for so long on dry land. Though this goal was revealed later to be a ruse, as he used to trick a associate, because this objective was not at all evident in either of his earlier or later appearances. During most of his crimes, his main goals are defeating Aquaman and gaining power for himself through the conquest of Atlantis. Finally, Manta kills Arthur Curry Jr., Aquaman's son, which leaves Aquaman obsessed with revenge. Black Manta is later transformed into a human manta ray hybrid by the demon Neuron in exchange for his soul, though after a while he returns to wearing his original outfit, which covers his new appearance. At one point, he engages in drug smuggling from his new base in Star City, where he is opposed by a returning Green Arrow and Aquaman. In a later confrontation, Aquaman, sporting the Lady of the Lake's healing hand, reverses Neuron's alterations to Black Manta and rewires Manta's afflicted brain, making him normal for the first time in his life. Unfortunately, Manta remains a violent criminal, lulling Aquaman into a false sense of partnership and almost killing the Sea King in the process. In later events, Black Manta is used as a genetic manipulation test subject to make water breathers. This succeeds, allowing Black Manta to return to the oceans to face Aquaman once again, on a more level playing field. David eventually caused a disturbance in Sub Diego, in which a friend of Aquaman's Captain Marley is severely injured. Arthur Curry summons various predatory sea life to attack Black Manta and leaves him for dead. It is later revealed that Black Manta was able to survive by generating an electric charge with a suit. One year later, Hyde would return and overtake Sub Diego, but is forced to flee when Aquaman ally King Shark bites off his face in a battle. 
When Aquaman dies at the end of the 2003 series, Black Manta begins working for Libra as part of the Secret Society of Supervillains. However, after Libra betrays the group and helps Darkseid conquer Earth, Black Manta quits. In a 2011 Brightest Day storyline called Aqua War, Black Manta has retired from his criminal ways. He's opened a fish market to earn an honest living. When he discovers that Aquaman has been resurrected following the end of the Blackest Night event, Black Manta murders the customers in the store and burns down his storefront house as he resumes his criminal career in vendetta against his old foe. Black Manta is seen later at the grave of Thomas Curry, Aquaman's father, where he is approached by an arch-criminal named Siren in her death squad after demolishing the tombstone. The Death Squad battles Black Manta, but before the fight continues too long, Siren stops them. She informs Black Manta that they need to work together to find his son, showing him a hardwater image of one Jackson Hyde. Black Manta and Siren locate Jackson and attempt to kill his foster father. Jackson, using his ability to create hardwater constructs, fights back but is unable to stop Black Manta from shooting a trident-shaped dart at his foster father. At the last moment, Aquaman intervenes, blocking the fatal shot. Black Manta then faces old nemesis again. During this fight, Aquaman pulls Jackson and his foster family to safety. In a flashback, it is revealed that Black Manta was once a treasure hunter who, along with his wife, was captured while exploring the Bermuda Triangle. Their captors were the other dimensional residents of Zebel, a water-based world in another dimension, and the two were tortured mercilessly. The captors experiment on Black Manta's pregnant wife, which gave their unborn child power similar to those of the residents of Zebel. Fearing that Jackson would be used as a pawn in invasion of Earth, Zebo Princess Mara kidnapped the child and took him to the planet, where she arranged him to be adopted and raised far away from water in order to keep him from her people. Black Manta ultimately escaped from Zebo, though his wife died, with him assuming his child was gone as well. After the boy learns the truth behind his origin, Aquaman and Jackson, now calling himself Aqua Lad, are ambushed by Siren and the Zebo soldiers on a California beach, where innocent citizens became caught in the crossfire. As Aquaman is about to strike back at Siren, Black Manta springs from the water and severs Aquaman's right hand. Jackson attacks his father, berating him for siding with the people who killed his own wife, only for Black Manta to throw Jackson to the ground and coldly state that both he and his mother meant nothing to him. As Black Manta prepares to impale his son with one of his blades, Mera arrives with Aqua Girl, who saves Jackson by striking Black Manta in the face. Jackson and Mera work together to seal Black Manta, Siren, and the rest of the invaders away in the Bermuda Triangle with Black Manta vowing from within his prison to get revenge upon his son. In the New 52, a 2011 reboot of the DC Comics universe, Black Manta kills a woman named Kashina the Seer, a former teammate of Aquaman, and steals her Atlantean relic. He then vows to kill her entire family before getting his revenge on Aquaman. A flashback shows that Aquaman created a team known as the Others, forged of six Atlantean relics from the Dead King's tomb, who are trying to catch Black Manta, but they fail and Black Manta escapes. David then goes after Aquaman's former teammate, the prisoner of war, in Heidelberg. It is then revealed that Aquaman killed Black Manta's father by accident, in retaliation for attacking Aquaman's father. Seeking revenge, Black Manta attempted to kill all of Aquaman's family and friends. When Black Manta chased prisoner of war, he was confronted by Aquaman in a battle. During the attack, David stole one of Yawara's Atlantean relics and teleported to Stephen Shin, Aquaman's former friend. Hyde then tasered Mera and pulled Shin to him in order to teleport away. Meanwhile, the others were reunited and discovered that there was a seventh Atlantean relic in the Dead King's tomb. Manta took Shin captive in the Dead King's tomb in order to find the seventh relic and locate it in the Dead King's throne. Manta prepared to kill Shin, but was thwarted when Aquaman and the others attacked his henchmen. David then killed Vostok X and escaped with the relic scepter. After Vostok X's death, Aquaman, through tears, swore that he would kill Manta as payback.
Black Manta delivered the Relic Scepter to a mysterious Atlantean who had revealed to be his employer, but the others ambushed them and attacked. The mysterious benefactor managed to grab the Relic Scepter and escape while Black Manta was forced to battle the others, resulting in Manta and his henchmen being taken away by the authorities. While in Belle Reef Prison, Black Manta refused to join Amanda Waller's suicide squad. During the Forever Evil storyline, Amanda Waller approached Black Manta again to join the Suicide Squad. David once again declined at the same time as Deathstorm and Power Ring invaded Belle Reve. After hearing Amanda Waller's offer to join the Suicide Squad, Black Manta retrieved his equipment during Belle Reve's prison break and accepted the Secret Society's coin. At the Justice League's watchtower, after claiming Aquaman's trident, Black Manta tossed the coin in the ocean. Hyde then took the trident to his father's grave, stating his quest to kill Aquaman was over. Looking up, he witnessed Ultraman moving the moon in front of the sun, resulting in the creation of massive tidal waves. The waves washed the grave of Black Manta's father away, which gave him a new purpose, to destroy the crime syndicate. After retrieving Black Adam's body from the ocean, Black Manta met up with Lex Luthor, the Kryptonian clone that Lex Luthor created, known as Bizarro, and Captain Cold, where he informed them of what Ultraman's actions had did to his father's grave. Lex Luthor realized that with the help of his Kryptonian clone, Black Adam, Black Manta, and Captain Cold, he might be able to stop the crime syndicate. After yet another version of DC continuity, DC Rebirth, this brought another version of the deranged madman to the DC universe. Black Manta attacks Spindrift Station, an Atlantean embassy built by Aquaman near his hometown of Amnesty Bay, to promote relations between Atlantis and the surface world. David then fights with Aquaman, and even wounds him, but the battle is ended with words about how hollow and empty Black Manta's purpose in life truly is. He's eventually taken into custody by the U.S. military, but the vehicle transporting him is attacked by Nemo forces. A woman named Blackjack takes him to the organization's base in Antarctica, where he meets the Fisher King, Nemo's leader. Nemo plans to discredit Aquaman in the eyes of the world by manipulating conflicts with the United States and other surface nations, and Black Manta decides to continue this mission after killing the Fisher King and claiming the title for himself. In Aquaman number 7, Manta appears at a meeting of the Nemo board in Venice, Italy, where he kills those who oppose his rule as the Fisher King, and commands the Shaggy Man, a mass weapon of destruction, to attack Atlantis. Later, Manta oversees Nemo's usage of Atlantean pretender forces against the U.S., which prompts the nation to declare war on Atlantis. After a team of American aquamarines, super soldiers, who can take on the form of sharks and other aquatic creatures, fails to assassinate Aquaman, the Atlantean King attacks Black Manta on his ship in the Azores. Rather than surrender, Black Manta blows up the ship and all aboard, but Aquaman and Blackjack escape. It is revealed that Manta survived the explosion, perhaps with the help of Blackjack, who has become obsessed with finding his illegitimate son, Jackson Hyde, who had joined the Teen Titans. Manta's desire to find him stems from his remembrance of a lost relic with power over the sea itself, the Black Pearl, a weapon which can bend the very oceans to the user's whim, which once belonged to a notorious Atlantean pirate who died in Zebel. Knowing only a denizen of Zebel had the map to its keep and only Zebelian hands could unseal it, he nearly murdered Hyde's adopted mother in order to get to him. With his son in tow, Manta and Jackson set out to find his prize, needing his son to unlock the trove that the pearl was sealed in. Eventually, a clash broke up between him and the Teen Titans after achieving his goal, and with it, power to dominate the world. He from his hand. Left broken and battered once again, it can be assured that the Black Manta will return as a scourge of the Seven Seas. And there you go, the history of the Black Manta, David Hyde. Very cool character. 
I like the actor a lot who's playing him in the Aquaman film. I'm hoping to see more of him in future Aquaman films and hope he gets a more permanent position as a, uh, you know, a true enemy of Aquaman instead of just, uh, you know, sort of a, a, I won't call him a henchman, but not as a thorn in his side, maybe. I mean, I like the Aquaman movie okay, but they threw a lot at you and I didn't know, if, you know, shoehorning him in there was really required at that point. But I'm hoping he gets some further, further screen time in the future. Uh, next week, we, uh, since we're getting close to October 31st, also known as Halloween, or All Hallows' Eve, if you're pretentious, uh, we I figured I'll do a character that is, uh, you know, a Halloween-y character. Someone that is definitely based in the horror world. Hallow- uh, the Marvel Universe has no shortage of them. Either is the DC. However, I am going to focus on the Werewolf by Night, also known as Jacob Rusoff or Jacob Russell, also named as Jack Russell, which is hilarious if you like puns, which I do. So we will be focusing on the Werewolf by Night on the next episode as we prepare for Halloween. Thank you, gentle listener, for tuning in. It's been a true honor, as always, and I can't wait to see you next time.